0: Well, Orchard Church, can you help me celebrate the fact that we have already seen 126 people baptized this weekend here at Orchard Church. How incredible is that? And we have another 50 that are planning to be baptized in this service, and then we have Orchard Latino. This is a historic weekend at Orchard Church. We're going to see more people get baptized and go public with their faith than we've ever had in a weekend at Orchard. So we cannot be more excited that you are here with us. We want to welcome you to Orchard. We want to welcome those joining us online. I especially want to say welcome to the friends and family members and guests that are here uh, to support those that are getting baptized. Um, If you haven't already, go ahead and take out your Bibles today or your mobile devices and turn to the new. Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. That's just past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 8. I want to share with you one of my favorite stories of life change in the Bible in just a moment. As you're finding your way there, uh, Shelly and I, my wife, have some exciting news that we would love to share with our Orchard Church family. As of 8.30 yesterday evening, uh, my daughter Caitlin, her husband Jesse, uh, he's in the Marine Corps, he's stationed in California. They made Shelly and I grandparents and so we welcome welcome Shiloh Ray into our family. we could not be more excited and thrilled about this. Shelly is out there in California right now. She was there. I'm going to be heading out Wednesday to see her for the first time. But uh, th- yes, we are now Grandma and Grandpa, but you cannot call us Grandma and Grandpa. All right. We're going with Pops and Gigi. All right. Now, Shiloh can call us whatever she wants, but you guys, I'm not Grandpa, I'm Pops. All right. I just want to set that straight right now, but we're, we're thrilled about that. I know some of you knew this was coming. Some of you maybe didn't, but we appreciate uh, your prayers and encouragement and uh, just so excited excited about what God has has done. Mom and baby are both doing really, really great. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism today as we prepare uh, for those that are going public with their faith. Let me ask you by a show of hands, how many of you have seen quite a few baptisms in your life? Maybe you kind of grew up in church and you're pretty used to baptisms. you raise your hand? Okay, quite a few of us. Yeah, I I grew up in church, been seeing baptisms since I was a kid. How many of you though, maybe you're kind of new to church, didn't grow up in church and baptism is a newer thing uh, to you. Would you raise your hand? Don't be shy about that. Okay, got a people like that. Um, you know, I always think about when we do baptisms, how weird it might be for that guest that comes into our service that maybe hasn't grown up in church, they're not from church, and they see us do this thing called baptism that we just get so used to. We do it about four times a year here at Orchard Church. But think about if you've never seen a baptism before and you don't really know what it's all about, how weird that must be to that person that is not used to this, that we get people up, you know, out of their seat. We bring a swimming pool into the auditorium. We put them in the pool. We dunk them under the water. Some of them we hold down a little longer, the ones that really need it, you know. And, and then we bring them up out of the water, and, and people are sopping wet. And it, it, that might seem like a, a strange thing, you know. Why, why do we do that? I remember uh, when my daughter, Caitlin, the one that just gave birth, she's 21 now, but when she was about six years old, and I was pastoring my first church. She came to me after watching me baptize for the first time. And she was really upset with me. And she put her finger in my face. She said, Daddy, I saw what you did to those people dunking them under the water. That was mean. She didn't get it. She didn't understand it. And so I first just want to ask the obvious question, why? Why do we do baptism? Why do we do this four times a year? Why do we make such a big deal about that, this? And why is it such a celebration? And the simple answer why is this. Jesus told us to. That's good enough, amen? Jesus told us to baptize. Um, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we'll put it on the screen for you. These are Jesus' famous last words, mo- some of the most important things he ever told us, his famous last words before he left the earth to go back to heaven, to be seated at the right hand of his father. Some refer to this verse as the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. Jesus commanded and told us to do this. And he said in Matthew 28, 19, these are the marching orders for the church. Therefore, go and what, church? Make Disciples, we are a disciple-making church, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told us to do, and so that's why we do it. A way we simplify this verse is our mission. Our mission here at Orchard Church is simply to help people find and follow Jesus that's fulfilling the great commission of Matthew 28, 19, help people find Jesus in a moment of faith by saying yes to Jesus, but then beginning a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And we believe the first step after someone says yes to Jesus, to following Jesus is to go public with their faith in baptism. This is such a big deal that Jesus wanted to make sure we get this right and we do this, that not only did Jesus end his ministry before he left by telling us to baptize, if you back up three years, Jesus started his earthly ministry ministry by getting baptized himself. Jesus came to a man named John the Baptist, and he said, hey, I want you to baptize me, and they went down into the Jordan River, and Jesus got baptized. Now, Jesus didn't have to get baptized, but you know why he did it? To set an example for us to follow. This is what we do. He started his ministry with baptism. He ended his ministry talking about baptism. I think we can agree, this is a pretty important thing. Amen, church? This is pretty special. God intends us to do this. Jesus intends us to do this, and and most every church baptized but churches do it in a lot of different ways and for different reasons. There's a lot of different forms of baptism. And unfortunately, what God meant to be such this special occasion for us to get it right, there's a lot of confusion today in the world of Christianity as to what is baptism really all about? Why should we be baptized? When should we be baptized? At what age? Um, how should we do it? Who, who should do it? There's a lot of confusion. But you know what? The truth is this. The confusion around baptism has not come from the Bible or God. It's come from men trying to change what God told us to do because the Bible is not confusing on this subject. The Bible is crystal clear on this subject of baptism, who should do it, when we should do it, how we should do it. And that's what we're gonna look at today. Sometimes people ask us this question, they come to Orchard Church and they say, okay, what does Orchard Church believe about baptism? What does Pastor Doug believe and teach about baptism? And what we say is this, it really doesn't matter what Orchard Church believes. It really doesn't matter what Pastor Doug believes. It only matters what the Bible says. That's our number one value here at Orchard Church. What does the Bible say? And so we're gonna look at the scriptures today in Acts chapter eight, Beginning in verse twenty-six, and we'll also put the verses on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Of one of my favorite stories about a man that finds Jesus and then immediately begins to follow Jesus with the first step of baptism. And in this story, it clears up so much of the confusion today about baptism. In this wonderful story in Acts chapter eight. Now, let me give you a little background and context of what's going on. There was a man named Philip. Um, he was not one of the original twelve disciples, but he He was probably one of the 72 that Jesus sent out. Um, He was known as Philip the Evangelist. Uh, What is an evangelist? It's somebody who goes around and tells people the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came here and died for our sins so that we could be saved and we could be forgiven. And Philip was doing his evangelistic thing that God had called him to do in an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria was a region that was about 100 miles north of the capital city of Jerusalem. And one day, Philip is evangelizing, he's doing his thing, and all of a sudden, God sends an angel to To interrupt his life, to tell him to go do something completely different. Have you ever had God interrupt your plans and your life? I have. But God had something special in store. So let's pick up the story as God interrupts Philip's life to help somebody find and follow Jesus in Acts chapter 28, or Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And it says this As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, history tells us that this was an old, deserted desert road. They had built a new road, a new highway. And so Philip probably was like, why would you call me to go down there? I'm about helping people find and follow Jesus. And I'm an evangelist. Nobody's going to be traveling that road. They're all on the new road. But God's telling me to do this. I'm going to trust him in faith, and I'm going to go down there. But God just totally interrupts this guy's plans. Now, if you're a planner, this angel is your worst nightmare, You know, I've got a plan, I'm working my plan, I'm doing my thing and now God says go 100 miles south in the other direction and to a a deserted desert road that I don't expect anybody to be on. How many of you guys um, are planners? So when you go on vacation, you plan out every detail of every day when you go on vacation. You're like me, you've got that sickness, right? Raise your hands, come on, how many are planners? You plan out everything, okay. How many of you, you're like, nope, I'm on vacation, every day I just get up and decide what I'm gonna do, I go with the flow, yeah, okay. Well, I'm a planner, so here, here's what I do to make sure we have some spontaneity. Um, I plan one day everything we're gonna do for the day, and the next day I plan that we're not gonna do anything and we're just gonna take it. So that's how I feel better about my planning. I plan one day, the other day I plan we're just gonna hang out at the pool and do whatever we want that day. And, and so this guy, he's, he's working his plan, he's evangelizing in Samaria, and God changes his plans. He sends him 100 miles south, and he tells him to go to this road. Now, what we see in the story is this angel Doesn't tell him why he's going there. He doesn't tell him how long he's going to be there. He doesn't give him any details. He just has to trust God in faith. Watch how this plays out in the story. Verse twenty-seven. So Philip obeyed and he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia on this road. A eunuch. Now, for those of you that don't know what a eunuch is, let me help you out a little bit. This was probably a guy that had the pillar but not the stones. Let's you think about that for a moment. Okay, that's a eunuch. If you're still confused, if you'll go to our got questions corner after service, maybe they can help you out. They're going to kill me from sending you out there or Google it later. But he, this was an important guy. Um, He was the treasurer in Ethiopia to the queen. It says he was of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. So he's in his carriage with his entourage on this deserted desert road. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. So he's the minister of finance for the queen of Ethiopia and he is a long, long way from home. Ethiopia at this time was about as far away from Jerusalem as you could possibly get. It was like the edge of the world and the edge of the earth. It was 2,000 miles away. So why did this Ethiopian eunuch travel 2,000 miles to Jerusalem? He was trying to worship, but as we're going to see in the story, he wasn't sure what or who he was worshiping. He was searching for truth. He was searching for meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. He was searching for possibly the one true God. You see, because in Ethiopia, they had false gods and false idols, and they were pagans, and that was leaving him completely unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So he thought, you know, I've heard about this one true great I am God, and his son Jesus so I'm gonna go check this out so he goes there and now he's on his way back home but he still has questions watch what it says in the scripture seated in his carriage he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah so he's reading the Bible the only Bible they had at that time which would have been the Old Testament and he's reading the book of Isaiah who was a prophet and the Holy Spirit said to Philip okay this is why I sent you to this place go over and walk along beside the carriage Philip ran over and heard heard the man reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah now i find this to be a little bit hilarious Here's this guy, he's in his carriage, he's reading out loud the Bible, and God says, okay, that's the guy. This is why I sent you down here. Go run up to his carriage. Remember, they're in the middle of the desert on a deserted road in the middle of nowhere. Just start walking alongside the carriage looking at what this guy, listen to what he's reading. I mean, that's kind of funny to me. This would be like you're standing one day and you're looking at your phone and you're checking social media or email, and somebody just walks up and goes, what are you reading? What are you looking at? That's kind of creepy, right? It's kind of weird. What's really interesting and hilarious to me in this story is nowhere in this story does the Ethiopian unit go, who the heck are you? And where did you come from? Why are you bugging me? He's so interested and enthralled in the scriptures and search for truth. He starts having a conversation with Philip. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? I'm looking for truth, but I need some help. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Now watch this. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this, and it's a prophecy. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That was the prophecy. And then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Do you see this guy is a spiritual seeker? He's seeking for truth. He's seeking to understand the scriptures. Who's this prophecy about? And I just want to stop here and remind all of us here at Orchard Church, if if you're part of the Orchard Church family, that there are spiritual seekers all around us every day. The people we work with, our neighbors, our friends, fellow students if we go to school. This is one of the reasons why we launched our focus this year, For the One. Jesus said if a shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, he'll leave the 99, help me out church, four." The one that is lost. This guy is lost. But he's looking for meaning. He's looking for answers. And Philip had enough spiritual intuition and God had sent him there that I'm going to help him connect the dots. I have an opportunity to help this man find and follow Jesus, the Messiah, the true Savior. And we have those opportunities, church, all around us. Look for those opportunities. Pray for those opportunities. And watch what Philip does next. Verse 35, and I love this. So, beginning with the same scripture that he'd been reading, Philip told him the, let's say it together, church, good news about Jesus. And he explains to him, that was a prophecy about the Messiah who would come to be the savior of the world. And here's the good news. He came, he fulfilled that prophecy. Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect sinless life. He went to the cross. He was crucified. He took our sins upon himself. He died for us. He was buried, but on the third day, he rose again from the grave victorious to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if we'll put our faith and trust in Him, we can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. We can have a relationship with the God of this universe. That's exactly what this man had been searching for and looking for. And he finds it on that road. And he leads him to faith in Christ. He says yes to Jesus, but that's not the end of the story. And we know that because watch what happens. Verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water a body of water here in this desert. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He had probably seen other people get baptized in Jerusalem, followers of Jesus. And now he's a follower of Jesus. He's accepted Jesus. He's like, I wanna do this. And you can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I love this. He ordered the carriage to stop And they went down into the water. And Philip did what, church? Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I mean, one minute he's there and next minute he's gone. And the eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Why was he rejoicing? Because he had found his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he had immediately gone public with his faith in believer's baptism. I love this story about a man who found Jesus and immediately began to follow Jesus and his life was radically changed. But also in this story, right here in Acts chapter eight, it clears up most all of the confusion that is out there today about baptism. If you just follow this story, and it's, uh, we see this in other places in scripture, it's affirmed in other places, but it's all encapsulated right here in this beautiful story. If you're taking notes today, and I hope you will, let me give you three truths from the scripture about baptism that we learn in this story. Story between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, is this truth? Baptism is about believing, not achieving our salvation. Baptism is about believing, not achieving. We don't achieve our forgiveness and salvation through baptism. That comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Verse 33, what does it say? He wanted to get baptized. And what did Philip say? If you what, church, if you Believe. believe. He didn't say, if you get baptized. He didn't say, if you're a good person, if you go to church, he said, if you believe with all your heart, and the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Baptism, if you don't hear anything else I say, church, hear this. Baptism does not save or forgive anyone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone does. It's Jesus plus nothing. The apostle Paul made this very clear in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. He said this, God saved you by his grace when you got baptized. Are y'all paying attention? I wanna make sure you're waiting. Is that what he said? No, he said, God saved you by his grace when you what? Believed, you put your faith in Jesus and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. He goes on and says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's by faith in Christ alone. Baptism is is about believing, not achieving through any work. 27 times in the Bible, in the New Testament, you see this pattern where someone believes and then they get baptized. It says the whole house believed, and then they got baptized. The jailer believed, and he got baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, he believed, and then he got baptized. Never do you see somebody get baptized, and then they believe. It's belief, then baptism. These waters here don't save anybody. They don't forgive anybody. They don't wash any sins away. Only our faith in Jesus does that. And that's what it's all about. And we've talked to all of these people who are ready to get baptized. And our first question is, have you believed? Have you accepted Jesus? Now you get to go public with your faith in believer's baptism. Get it this way in your notes. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. It is evidence of salvation. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. It is an outward display. It's evidence of our salvation. It's an outward display of our inward faith. Let me illustrate it this way. It's, I I like to call baptism the wedding ring of the Christian life. It's the symbol, it's the wedding ring of the Christian life. Do I have to wear my wedding ring in order to be married to my wife, Shelly? No. Do I have to wear my wedding ring if I want my wife, Shelly, to be happy? You better believe it, absolutely, yes, (laughs) okay? According to the Bible, does someone have to be baptized in order to be saved and forgiven? No. But should they be baptized in order to obey God and make God happy? Yes, Yes, absolutely. If that makes sense, church, say yes. Yes. Baptism is about believing, not achieving. We see that in this story. Here's a second truth we see in this story. Baptism is about immersing, not pouring or sprinkling. We see that in this story. Baptism is about immersing in water, not sprinkling pouring or sprinkling as some do. We see this in the story, verse 38. He ordered the carriage to stop and then watch this, they went down into the water and Philip baptized him and then it says, they came up out of the water. It was a full immersion baptism and that's the only method of baptism you find anywhere in scripture. It's always by immersion. The word baptize comes from the Latin word baptizo which means to immerse. It, it, it can't even be used to mean pour or sprinkle. It literally means e- immersion. And I think of it this way in this story. This guy was an important guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, he is the minister of finance to the queen of Ethiopia. He's in his carriage. He has an entourage of people with him. Now, if you're taking a 2,000-mile journey through the desert, what's the most important thing that you're going to have with you? water to drink. If all they needed was some water to pour or sprinkle, they could have stopped at any moment, grabbed a canteen and poured it on the guy's head. But they waited till they came to a body of water and he said, hey, there's some water that's big enough. We can get down in it because it needed to be by immersion. That's the method in the scriptures. Baptism is about immersing, not pouring or sprinkling. That is the biblical uh, mode and means of baptism. Now, let me be honest to keep it real. I wish... We could do it differently at times. It would be so much easier as a church if in the scriptures, would God would allow us to do sprinkling or pouring. That would be a lot easier, just practically speaking. Because every time we have a baptism weekend, you know what we have to do. I mean, we've gotta bring in the swimming pool. We've gotta put you know, a 1,000 gallons or so of water in this thing. Um, we've gotta to pray to God every time we baptize that this thing never burst, or all of you guys right here, it would be a baptism you would never forget. There's a lot of water in this thing. And we gotta fill it up. We gotta drain it afterwards. We gotta dry it. We've gotta roll it. We've gotta store it. We gotta make sure that the baptismal water is warm and the ideal perfect temperature because some of you men are weenies and you're sissies and you will scream like a girl. The ladies are fine. We baptize in cold water. And the ladies are fine. But the guys are like, ah, you know. I mean, it's a challenge. It, it takes a lot of work. We prepare all week long for our baptism services and we do it four times a year. But you know what, church? It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it because we want to baptize the way they baptized in the Bible, the way Jesus intended. When Jesus was baptized, you can go back and check out the story. It says he was baptized in the Jordan River. He went down under the water. He came up out of the water. So that begs the question, well then why do so many churches today sprinkle or or pour instead of doing it by immersion? Well, if you study the history for the first 200 years of the Christian church after Jesus told us to baptize, nobody did anything but immersion because they knew that's what the word means. It can't mean anything else. And it wasn't until the third century that the Catholic church decided, um, we're gonna start baptizing babies and infants. We're not gonna wait till they put their faith in Christ. We're gonna do it when they first get born. And they actually started baptizing babies by immersion, but then babies were choking and some of them were drowning. They were like, well, this isn't going very well. And so they decided we better sprinkle or pour. But see, what did we already learn? Baptism is not what saves us, it's our faith. That's why here at Orchard, we wait till kids are old enough to make a faith decision themselves. And then we baptize them. And so when you get off a little bit in the scripture doctrinally here, you get off more in the practice of it. And that's where sprinkling and pouring came along. I found this out just this last week in some of my studies that John Calvin, some of you remember him in, in church history. John Calvin is at the heart of the Presbyterian church that to this day, they sprinkle and pour. But here's what he said himself. He said, the word baptize means to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice in the early church. Then why did we change it? Let's do it the way God intended. Amen? Amen. Let's, it's worth the effort. It's, it's worth the work. Now, here's, here's what's most important. You need to understand why. Okay, if it's clearly by immersion, why did God instruct us to baptize by immersion? Because remember, it's a symbol of our faith. It's a picture of our faith. And when you understand this, it all makes sense. Here's the picture. You know what baptism is picturing? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are dying to our old life, and we have new life in Jesus. That's why immersion is the only thing that makes sense. Get it this way in your notes. Baptism is a public declaration of our new association. We're associating with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that which saved us, that which gave us eternal life. In the act of baptism, it's the perfect picture and symbol. Does that help you, church? Say yes. That's why we do it this way, and that's why God intended it to be this way. So what do we learn from this story? Baptism is about believing, not achieving. Baptism is about immersing, not pouring. And then the third thing, baptism is about obeying, not delaying. It's about obeying, not delaying. What happened? As soon as the Ethiopians said yes to Jesus and they came to some water, what did he say verse 36? Look, there's some water. Stop the chariot. Let's do this. There's some water. Let's do this. I don't wanna put this off any longer. Notice what he didn't say in the scripture. He didn't say, well, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. See how, let me see how I feel about it. Let me me make sure I understand everything doctrinally and theologically. No, he just knew this is the first step. This is what Jesus told me to do. After I say yes to Jesus, I get baptized. Listen, Orchard Church, there are some things we don't need to pray about. We don't need to pray about things that Jesus has already told us to do. We don't need to pray about, I'm gonna pray about whether I should pray or not. I'm gonna pray about whether I should go to church or not. I'm gonna pray about whether I should serve or I should give or I should share my faith. You know, there's some things we don't need to pray about. Right before this service, I had a dear family in our church came up to me and they said, Pastor Doug, we're going on vacation next week. Would you watch our three cats? I said, nope, I don't need to pray about that. I'm good. There's some things we don't need to pray about. Baptism is one of those things. Baptism is about obeying and not delaying. And for the Ethiopian, he wasn't concerned about his convenience. He was concerned about his obedience. Get it this way in your notes. My pastor growing up used to always say this, I've never forgot it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Would you agree, parents? <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience. So, listen, here's what I would say to some of you today. We've got about 50 people. They came ready to obey Jesus, follow Jesus and believers' baptism. But there are some of you sitting out here right now, and you have said yes to Jesus, but you've never gone public with your faith in baptism. Here's what I would say to you there's some water. It's right here. You can do this. You can do it right now. Maybe you were baptized as a baby, as an infant. That's that's fine. That was something your parents did that was special for them. It was meaningful for them. It was about their faith. You could do it today, so it can be meaningful to you and it'd be about your faith. And, and if you've never done that, you you got there's some water. <laughs> Here it is. Maybe you were sprinkled. Maybe you were poured. And you're like, well, nobody ever told me. I didn't know that in the Bible, you're supposed to do it by immersion. There's some water. We can do it the biblical way today, just like Jesus did. We have people every time we baptize ask us this question. You know, I was baptized as an infant, or I was baptized as a teenager or an adult. You know, even after I said yes to Jesus, but I I wandered, I drifted away, and I've come back to the Lord, and I kind of like to rededicate my life. Would there be anything wrong with me getting baptized again? And what is the answer to that church? No, absolutely not. Because this is just a symbol. It's kind of like renewing your wedding vows. We had several people. We've had this weekend already around 15, 20 people that didn't show up to church planning to get baptized, but God spoke to their heart and they said, there's water, I'm doing it. How, how cool is that? You can do it as a rededication. And, and I know what some of you may be thinking, well, I would do it. I know I need to do it. God's speaking to me to do it. And we're not trying to talk you into it or coerce, but if God is speaking to your heart, the time to obey is now. And some of you, listen, you know what? The only thing that's standing between you and obeying God is you. It's just you taking that step of faith. And, and, and we can come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I would do it, but my family isn't here. My friends aren't here. Listen, I, I get that and we, I understand that. And that's why we videotape all these. They'll all be online. We don't get baptized for our family. We get baptized for Jesus. That's, that's why we do this. And so. If God is speaking to you today, I'm gonna tell you in just a moment how you can have an opportunity to still do this today. There's some water. You can do this today because baptism is about obeying and not delaying. Here's what we're gonna do right now. As we stay seated, we're gonna dismiss all of you that have come prepared. You can just head out that door uh, right behind you there to get in place. And can we just celebrate all those right now that are getting baptized today, amen. And as they're getting in place... Um, and they're getting ready. Here's what we're gonna do. I wanna share a video with you right now of a teenage girl that was sitting in our service a couple of months ago, last time we baptized, and God spoke to her heart and said, I want you to get baptized today. She wasn't planning on get baptized, but she obeyed God in the moment. And so I know this is gonna bless your heart. Watch this.
1: When I was younger my parents started going to church and I went to kids' church and I went all through from the young ones to the old ones to fuel now. I went to church, I pretended to be a Christian and I feel like I really lost sight of him. Like I would pretend to be good but really I was masking who I really was in that time. When I found Him a second time, I was really hesitant to get baptized again because, like, what if I fall into the dark pit again? And what if I mess up again? I don't want to just keep getting baptized over and over again. Before, I just wanted to get baptized because, like, I thought every other Christian is getting baptized. Why don't I as well? I don't know if I really quite understood it. Just recently, I went through a really rough time in my life. I found God through that, and I feel that I'm closer to him now than I ever have been before. Like, before I didn't really feel a relationship, but now that I have found him, I see him in a different way. And he is always there for me, and I know that he forgives me and that he helps me. The baptism came up, and I was sitting there, and I'm like, no, maybe I'll do it next time. And then the next baptism, no, maybe I'll do it next time. I don't want to do it this time, just not this time. It was always maybe next time. God hit me with that, this is your time. And so spur of the moment, I got baptized a second time because God called out to me in that moment when Doug said, those of you who are out there and you want to get baptized and you know that God has placed it on your heart. I was still really hesitant, but I stood up and I did it anyway. Like it was that feeling of, you know, you're supposed to do this at that time. I knew I was supposed to do it. <laughs> sure there was hesitation, but I knew.
0: Yeah, can we just celebrate that great testimony? Appreciate Addie sharing that with us. Would you join me in an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare for baptism, those that are going public with their faith. And if you haven't heard anything else that I've said, I want you to, to, to hear this right now because this is gonna apply to some of you in a very meaningful way personal way if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus you've never put your faith and trust in him you've never believed in him it's not about getting baptized today it's about saying yes to Jesus and then we can talk about baptism make sure you get the faith before you get the ring and in every service this weekend we've had people that have said you know what My first step is I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to invite him into my life by faith. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All we have to do is ask in faith for the gift of eternal life and salvation and a home in heaven and forgiveness of our sins. And I want to give some of you an opportunity to do that right now, right where you sit. I'm not going to ask you to come up, speak up or anything like that. Just pray a simple prayer from your heart to God's that I'll help you with the words in just a moment. Now, this isn't a magic prayer. These aren't magic words that we say, but if you will pray these from a heart of belief and faith, you can have your sins forgiven today. You can invite Jesus into your life. You can have a completely fresh start and hopefully find the satisfaction of fulfillment that you've been looking for maybe all your life as you meet the one true God. Just like the Ethiopian in this story. If that's you today, you know who you are. If God is speaking to you in that way, would you pray this prayer from your heart to God's right now? And it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, be my Lord. Yes, be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to know you and follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you, thank you. We continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed nice eyes closed and we look around. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I would love, love the privilege to pray for you that you would grow in your walking relationship with Jesus from this day forward. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And without anyone else looking around, if you just prayed that prayer, can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand nice and high so I can see it? One, two, three. Lift them up. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you over here. Yes, on my left. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, on my left. God bless you. Far over here. Yes. In the back. Amen. Several people, amen. Church family, can we just pray and welcome these new believers into the family of God and let's pray for those that are going public with their faith and baptism. Father, we just celebrate this weekend here at Orchard Church, the incredible life change that is being represented, the incredible life change that is taking place in our midst as people are finding you and now beginning to follow you and saying yes to you and inviting you into their life. Lord, we pray that they would grow in their walk and relationship with you, that they would grow to love you as much as you first loved them. And Lord, we celebrate um, all those today that are going public in their faith to say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, and I want the world to know about it. We just thank you for all the incredible things you're doing. And that we get to be a a part of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen.